Welcome to Let's Talk New Mexico. I'm your host, Taylor Velazquez. Social media has become a common way for people to communicate and share ideas, but the U.S. Surgeon General issued an advisory earlier this year about the effects of social media use on young people and their mental health after use of these platforms have become nearly universal. It's reported that teens who use social media for more than three hours a day face double the risk of depression and anxiety symptoms, while the average time that kids are spending online amounts to two, three and a half hours a day. The Surgeon General's advisory says that social media can cause body dissatisfaction, disordered eating behaviors, social comparison, and low self-esteem, especially in teen girls. But other groups like who have chronic illness or LGBTQ folks may benefit by finding community and sharing their struggles and victories while creating friendships across the country and even the world. However, cyberbullying remains a constant for all teens and can be relentless and dangerous. Nearly half of teens ages 13 to 17 have reported experiencing cyberbullying that can come in the form of name-calling, the sharing of explicit images, or the spreading of false rumors. In addition, there's a looming uncertainty of who we're interacting with online. The Federal Bureau of Investigation this year warned there is an, an inherent danger to any social media app as predators have moved from the real world into the online world. The, this morning, we'll be taking a look at some of the harms and a few of the benefits of social media and how a life online affects young people. And since so many of our lives are now online, we'll be taking a look at online safety and the warning signs that a loved one may be experiencing online harassment. And we also want to hear from you. How does social media play into your life? Do you think big tech companies need to be held accountable or face stronger regulations? Or do you need advice on keeping your family safe? Email us at letstalk at KUNM.org or call in live at 505-277-5866. And I now want to introduce my first guest this morning, joining us live via Zoom, Amanda Blair, Assistant Director of Health and Wellness at New Mexico State University. Good morning, Amanda. Thanks for joining us this morning. Hi, good morning. Thank you for having me. Amanda, you're leading a program at NMSU called No Mind Suffering Unheard. Can you tell me more about the program and what spurred it? Was there an increase of mental health problems on campus? Absolutely. Um, so the New Mexico Higher Ed Department um, actually funded some mini grants that one of our um, public health faculty members had applied for. Um, his name is Dr. Jagdish, and um, he applied for it. And um, I currently oversee the Office of Health Promotion. So it was a really nice um, collaborative effort between um, the Health Center and the Department of Health Science. Um, but the New Mexico Higher Ed Department did fund a $50,000 grant to help support um, mental health initiatives on college campuses. So we're very fortunate that New Mexico State was the recipient of one of those. And um, yeah, we developed a peer mental health um, education program. It sounds like this program was very popular with your students. More than 100 students had applied to be part of the program. Why was it so important to you all to have this peer-to-peer -peer aspect in the program? Absolutely. Um, so here at the Office of Health Promotion, uh, we do a lot of peer-to-peer -peer, um, education anyways, and we know that peer-to-peer -peer education works. Um, there is a lot of data and research to support that most peers want to hear from peers themselves. And um, typically, more often than not, um, you know, these, these people who end up in these um, passionate areas of public health um, typically have either lived experiences and or, like I said, have very um, high interest in the field um, themselves. So we had a lot of uh, social workers, a lot of public healthers, um, nurses, a lot of people in the soft sciences that um, truly want to make a difference in people's lives. And when it comes to social media, which is the big topic this morning, did your students bring that up in training of how it affects their mental health and how that's playing a real role in their lives every day? Yeah, so in the fall of 2022, um, this program was heavily focused on training these individuals to become peer educators. Um, they were trained in QPR, which is a suicide prevention effort um, to do uh, question, persuade, and refer if there is conversations surrounding um, suicide. Uh, they were also trained in Narcan. Um, they were also went through a 12-hour um, certified peer education program that had eight different modules that taught them how to become peer educators. Um, they also went through the mental health first aid training. Um, so it was very heavy training based in the fall. 
Um, and in the spring, each advocate had to commit to at least three uh, events in the spring to help with mental health outreach here on campus. So um, they did team up with the Office of Health Promotion to do some of those events. Um, but really, you know, this, this program just got started. Um, so clearly we wanted to invest in them as individuals um, to ensure that they had the resources and the tools available um, for them to go out and have these difficult conversations. Definitely. There seems like there's a lot of different avenues when it comes to mental health problems in young adults. But I want to introduce Jessica Fish, an assistant professor at the University of Maryland School of Public Health, who studies human development and family science and whose research focuses on the health of LGBTQ people and their families. Unfortunately, Jessica couldn't join us live this morning, but here's a clip of her explaining how groups like the LGBTQ youth use social media and can actually be a positive for them. For many LGBTQ youth, social media and the internet and the relationships that within that provide them a unique outlet to express themselves in ways that is consistent with their identity and to find community with others who are LGBTQ youth in ways that they may not have access to in their everyday lives. And so while they may be trying to understand who they are with regards to their sexual orientation or gender identity, and they may feel a little apprehensive about sharing that with folks that they interact with on a daily basis, the ability to then engage in social media and online communities allows them to explore and understand that part of themselves in a way that might be more low risk and allows them to try on names that fit for them, pronouns that fit for them, and it gives them an opportunity to kind of work through that in a way that that may not yield immediate pushback from their community, their family, and their friends. Amanda, we just heard from Jessica about the importance of finding community in terms of mental health. How does your program aim to allow students to find that community, and why is it so important for a person's overall mental health? So uh, when you build those types of communities, um, the collaborative efforts among themselves is really the beauty of that peer-to-peer -peer education role. Um, it gives them a voice within that space um, to develop their own programs, to have a decision um, in regards to what that looks like, uh, their mental health and also social media um, here on the campus. And just to be clear, there are some positives of social media. I know we're talking a little bit about the harms, but Amanda, is social media part of that community building you just talked about? Absolutely. Um, so the cohort, the peer mental health advocates have become um, a student organization here on campus and they are recognized now as the Active Minds chapter, which is a national nonprofit. And um, even the way that we engage with our national office is all done through social media and um, tagging and liking and trying to get the word out in regards to mental health. And, um, you know, social media can be a very slippery slope in regards to how we use it and um, also on what different types of platforms. So to engage with our students, we have to use social media. Um, so like I said, it, it, it's a complicated situation and. Um, I'm glad we're here talking about this um, in regards to the pros and cons. Definitely. It seems like there's a new platform every day and we're learning more and more each day. But you mentioned before the program was launched last fall. What have you learned in the past year in terms of your students and what you're seeing? There are a lot of students at New Mexico State that are very passionate about mental health. Um, like, like you had mentioned, we had over 100 students apply to this program. Um, unfortunately, due to funding, we only accepted 50, so we had a 50% uh, acceptance rate. Um, with the help of some more uh, funding here at New Mexico State, uh, we have explored um, launching our second cohort of this group here on campus. Um, so we'll actually be starting that on September 29th. So we're very, very excited. Um, this time we had over 150 people apply, and uh, I believe we have enough funding for about 65 peer educators this year. So. I think there's a lot of momentum. Um, there's a lot of interest for students to want to destigmatize mental health and, you know, become advocates here on campus and to be those active listening hands and um, being able to have those difficult conversations with their peers and being able to identify um, resources and things that we have available to them as students.
It sounds like there's a lot of exciting things coming down the pipeline for you all, but I want to turn to my next guest this morning, Clara Wasserman, a college student at Emory University and co-founder of the Log Off Movement, a global movement that aims to reduce social media's impact on mental health while teaching teens and their parents how to navigate social media. Unfortunately, Clara couldn't join us live this morning, but we sat down earlier this week to talk about what young people are experiencing online and how to use social media in a healthier way, and here's some of that conversation. So our main campaign, our first campaign is a campaign called Forks Up, Phones Down. And that's basically a campaign focusing on fubbing and fubbing for those people that don't know is when you choose to use your phone in a social setting while someone is engaging with you. So this can be while you're having a social dinner and someone's talking to you, having a really nice chat with you. And then suddenly you show them a TikTok reel or an Instagram post. That's you fubbing them, kind of choosing to give your attention to your phone more than the conversation. And that's what the whole campaign is about, kind of making a social stigma to promote not fubbing and to really promote human interaction. You just touched on some of the harms that social media can cause. I'm sure you're hearing from a lot of different people about their own experiences. Can you tell me about the common harms that people are encountering while using social media? A key problem that youth voices are finding is that it's an extremely addictive technology. It's not created for our benefit. We're the commodity. They're selling our data. They The whole business idea is for us to be online as much as possible. And the big tech will really do anything to keep us online as much as possible. And so an effect of that is one of the most common things is having body issues, how you perceive yourself, how you perceive others, because social media, you have to remember, it's not real. You find a lot of issues with mental health about teens comparing themselves with other people, comparing their lifestyles, comparing their body, comparing their features. And that's something that we find a lot. And Log Off really wants to promote mindfulness and really valuing yourself and remembering that social media is not the world. Like your world is outside of your phone. I want to dig a little deeper into the attention aspect of social media. The other founder of Log Off, Emma Lemke, testified at the Senate Judiciary Committee earlier this year, and she said these platforms are maximizing teens' attention at the cost of their well-being. How do we hold big tech accountable? That's a really complex issue that has so many components about policy, about politics. But at the heart of Log Off, what we're trying to do is bring youth voices to the forefront of this issue. And just like Emma testified, she is a prime example of how she's using her voice to gain power in this sector and to make sure that the future generation that we're well taken care of and we're not being taken advantage of by big tech just for a quick buck. So far, we've spoken about the harms of social media, but it seems like you all are using some platforms to get your message across. So what are those potential benefits of social media? That's a really important point because some people mix up log off with we're anti-social media. um, We don't want social media when that is absolutely not the case. Em and I, we really like social media. It's how we found each other. Social media is a great tool for communication. Just technology in general is a great tool for communication over long distances. Like, for example, my family, we're in Argentina. My immediate family here in the U.S., we're all alone. So our connection to my family is through technology, through Zoom, through phone. How can young people still engage with social media as it stands now and get those positive aspects from it, but not get caught up in the endless scrolling that I know I've been guilty of and I'm sure folks who are listening and can relate to as well? We've all been very guilty of doing that. <laughs> but one way that I even practice this is critically thinking um, after a while that I'm on social media is thinking, OK, what am I even consuming? Like, what does this add to my day? What does this add? Like, what is the thinking process of this? Because that kind of interrupts the cycle of just passively scrolling and you start to kind of wake up and realize this is not very productive for my day. And that takes a lot of willpower. And sometimes I admit I am not capable of showing that willpower 24-7 all day. So there's a lot of resources. So there's a lot of time management apps, even social media as well. Like you see that some apps start to develop more time management settings. And while that's not the main focus that they're pushing, it's still really good to explore those settings and make sure that you're able to. It's a great way. It's a gentle reminder that you can take a walk, go get some fresh air, talk to a friend and get off your phone. What suggestions would LogOff have when it comes to changing these platforms? 
I think that one thing should be the a really addictive feature. I, for example, Instagram, I love posting photos. I love photography. It's a way to kind of showcase my art, but it really gets me down when I'm scrolling and then suddenly I feel like I can't um, go away or when my phone is right next to me and suddenly it buzzes. I think it's maybe a family member texting me, but it's actually social media and Instagram reminding me, hey, you've been off the app for a little bit. Let me get you back on it. It's very depressing to think that that's the main goal of big tech when they're developing these apps. What advice would you give to young people who are trying to prioritize their mental health and break that addictive cycle like you mentioned? I think it's really important to while you're listening to youth voices to also make sure that you are consulting professionals and if you really feel down or like social media is really affecting you to really reach out for help from an adult seek out professional help thank you so much claire for coming on the show it's been really great talking with you okay thank you so much that was Clara Wasserman, co-founder of the Log Off Movement, and we're actually going to head to a quick break. This is Let's Talk New Mexico on 89.9 KUNM. I'm Taylor Velasquez. We're talking about social media's impact on mental health, and we'll be back in a moment. Support comes from UNM, presenting Safety Week, September 18th through the 23rd. Attendees are welcome to participate in training sessions, seminars, and hands-on learning activities. More at campussafety.unm.edu. KUNM programming is made possible by supporting members from Las Lunas, Moriarty, and many other communities, large and small. No matter where you call home, thank you for your generosity. KUNM, powered by you. Conductor Giovanni Antonini says it takes a special frame of mind to play music written in the 1600s. He says Baroque music celebrates surprise. It's a philosophy of spontaneity. Coming up, Giovanni Antonini and his group Il Giardino Armonico living in the moment on the next Performance Today from APM. Weekday mornings at 9 on KUNM. Welcome back to Let's Talk New Mexico. I'm Taylor Velazquez. On next week's show, we'll talk about city growth and development. Keep an eye out on details on our website. Today, we're going to be talking about social medias and social media use, and we'll take your calls about the impacts of social media. How has social media impacted your daily life? Give us a call at 505-277-5866 and let us know, or you can email us at letstalk at kunm.org. And I want to introduce another guest I have on joining us via Zoom this morning is Dr. Christina Sawar, Associate Professor at the Department of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry at UNMH. Who, uh, good morning, Dr. Sawar. Thank you for joining the show this morning. Hi, good morning. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Awesome. And the U.S. Surgeon General's advisory earlier this year seems like a very big step. What do you make of this advisory, and should teens and their parents be concerned? Great question. Definitely, I think, pretty impactful to have such a major national statement issued about the concerns of social media and how it impacts kids, adolescents, I mean, really all of us, as I know the discussion has been. Um, I do think that it hopefully brings further awareness and just kind of moves to a higher point on the priority list for parents, how important it is to be conscientious of, to be talking with kids about social media, um, and to be thinking about it in terms of like all the other considerations as parents that we have and well-being for our kids, that this is certainly an important one that deserves attention and time. And we just heard from a student named Claire Watcherman, and she was talking about comparison, getting caught in the endless scrolling that we've, we're seeing. And there's so many issues we're seeing with social media. So what was your reaction to her really sharing those experiences that I'm sure a lot of people can relate to? Definitely. Right. Yeah, I think it happens for many. Most of us, there are certainly elements to social media use and kind of our neurobiology where um, there are aspects of, you know, kind of getting focused in on it, of wanting to continue to scroll the reward experience we have from scrolling and also sort of that wanting to be connected and wanting to know what's going on. A lot of that's very just tied in with like our basic human nature now in a digital form. Um, but yeah, I think 
brings to light another conversation of, you know, how do we really manage, how do we navigate our social media use, realizing for many people it's a tool that they want to have as part of their life, but that there are ways we can be safe or just kind of um, thoughtful about it. Definitely. I'm sure we all relate to getting sucked into social media and then an hour goes by and you're like, oh, I just wasted all that time on social media, but that's for everyone. So when we're talking about young people, do you think social media is safer for young people? And what age do you suggest that kids start to sign up for these platforms? Yeah, that's a very, that's a very good question. And one that I certainly respect. There are some different opinions on or kind of the consensus is not totally established. You know, I think there's a few things to think about, right, which is that we realize, you know, as we mature, as we age, that we're able to filter our environment better in general, but that includes social media and kind of our capacity to um, take perspective on what we're seeing on social media and kind of appreciate, you know, other parts of our life. And as such, I think that um, it's worth parents having ideas about how they want to approach this with their kids from even an early age, because we know many kids in elementary school are um, given smartphones and, you know, it can start young. Um, we think about a few things. One is that, again, there might not be a specific age, but we do kind of think like that early adolescence, you know, sort of like 10 to 14 might be a common place that a lot of kids are getting onto social media and that there's more sort of group pressure for that. Um, and as such, I think it's also worth parents at that point having an idea about how they want to monitor. Are there certain platforms that seem more appropriate or not? Um, and again, just really hopefully to empower parents that like we understand this is something that many kids are doing and your children may want to do. But that again, as a parent, it's totally in your domain to be able to set the rules, kind of have the, the discussion about, no, this just isn't what we're ready to do yet um, and kind of launch from there. There's a lot that we're all consuming on social media and the Surgeon General's concern in that advisory lies in younger ki kids being exposed to sexual or violent imagery early in life. How does that affect kids' development? Yes. Well, kids in ways they absorb so much of their environment, right? That's how they learn. That's how they develop their sense of self, kind of like just adapt to societal and cultural norms and expectations. So we know that whether that's in person or what they're doing online, that that can definitely you know, be things that they just integrate and they're not even necessarily conscious of. Um, so that's where we do have more, definitely more consideration about content that um, such as violence as mentioned, sex, such as sexual content that can be you know, more impactful um, for them when they aren't always clear about like, is this, is this kind of in a normal spectrum? Is this inappropriate? You know, are these things that are okay for me to be engaged with or to, to be involved with? Um, so we certainly think that some of the, you know, friends and that kind of pro-social space of social media can be okay at younger ages. Um, but as you're mentioning, some of these more, um, difficult content areas certainly certainly should be monitored and hopefully avoided for younger kids. And you know, we just talked about those difficult content that you just mentioned, but social media in general, how does that affect young people's minds? Yeah, great question. Well, there are a couple pieces. I think many times we look um, you know, around in society and we might appreciate that Average attention spans for many people have shifted with a lot of the way that our society has um, adopted more digital connection and especially social media we know just kind of moves very quickly. Um, so there is an impact in terms of how it affects children's attention spans. Um, and that's where it's important for us to think about other activities that can be complementary and important for them. The other piece is this comparative experience or this kind of judging, right? Like, am I going to like this? Am I not liking it? You know, having a lot of judgment, a lot of comparison. Um, and when kids and especially teenagers who are so socially sensitive are going through this and for hours a day, um, it can have a really big impact in how they feel about themselves. Um, I think we know that sometimes people might put their best selves out on social media and we don't see the full spectrum of everyone's life. But, you know, for kids and teens, they might think, wow, this person's life looks so amazing and I don't have anything like this. Or I see all my friends hanging out together on someone's social media feed and I'm not there. Just like a lot of different 
um, kind of potential ex experiences that can can lead to um, a child or teenager being more self-conscious, potentially um, developing more anxiety or just kind of concern about their place in the social culture and their friends group. And we just heard about Dr. Sauer talking about all the things that p kids are encountering on social media. And we want to hear from you. Do you think there needs to be more regulation when it comes to Big Tech, you can let us know at calling us at 505-277-5866, or you can shoot us an email at letstalk at KUNM.org. But Dr. Sauer, I want to get back to how these platforms are built. It seems like they're made to make people addicted. Are young brains more susceptible than older ones? Yes, yeah. The, um, the couple aspects that we think about, again, is just like where... So as we develop as into our adult life, right, that more sort of like people might call it kind of the toddler or kind of primitive, the parts of our brain um, that are very active when we're young and tend to have a stronger influence um, can be very, you know, are very gravitated by quick reward, by things that feel good, um, also by like fear circuitry. So there's some very kind of primitive things that are active early on in our development. And then as we're getting older, this part called our prefrontal cortex, that part of our brain that's respons responsible for decision-making and kind of taking into a lot of different, um, taking a lot of factors into account and you know navigating complex decision, right? That's what's really developing as we get older and into our adult life. So um, with that being said, certainly we know that, you know, social media, for kids, they just are not able to kind of filter it and sometimes have the perspective that an adult can, um, you know, in terms of like, how does this look in terms of reality? Um, and and sometimes how it can really capture their attention. You know, we realize like kids and screen time is another big topic um, and kids can very easily, especially with their imaginations, get kind of absorbed into these um, virtual digital worlds. And so I think there's a lot of important pieces here around how kids can um, kind of distinguish what's happening on social media as opposed to sort of their real life in the world. It's estimated that 4.9 billion people have social media globally, and the average user has up to six to seven platforms. Younger generations never have known a world without social media. How has the mental health impacts led to bigger issues as teens are transitioning towards their young adult life into their adult life? Those are really great points and powerful statistics to hear about. I think it is something that's really evolving in terms of our understanding of it that like you're mentioning kids now this isn't something that came into um, popularity during their teenage years right this is something that's kind of a part of their world and you know many parents when their kids are young are also on social media and kind of very engaged with their phones right so it does it does prevent a different or it presents a different landscape for them um, in terms of the mental health aspects and a lot of what's been published recently in the literature is that we, there's a correlation between more time on social media or on our digital devices and increased rates of depression and anxiety, especially in teenagers. And that's probably multifactorial, both between if you're on your phone or on a digital device and not doing other things, kind of what you might be missing as part of your life. Um, but also just again, honoring this impact that we recognize social media can have in terms of how someone perceives themselves compared to their peers, compared to other people on social media, and um, how that affects their sense of self or self-worth. And we've discussed a lot of the impacts when it comes to mental health, but I'm sure that mental health issues that people are experiencing leads into our physical health at one point. So how does mental health affect and impact our physical health? Yeah, they're definitely interrelated and, and strongly connected both ways, right? Our mental health impacts our physical health, our physical health impacts our mental health. Um, so specifically with the mental health to the physical health direction, a few things that we think about are that um, the concepts or the diagnoses, disorders of depression and anxiety um, also include considerations and common experiences of physical manifestations. So for example, many people with depression may experience substantial fatigue. They may experience 
more sensitivity to pain. They may experience changes in their appetite, um, motivation, energy levels. And with anxiety, it can be the same, although sometimes with anxiety, you see people that more feel tense or on edge or keyed up. Um, so there's those direct experiences. We also know that mental health um, challenges, um, suffering from a mental health disorder can also have impacts longitudinally on physical health. So for example, if someone is struggling with depression, it can impact the likelihood that they may develop another chronic disease. It can impact um, what we think about in terms of how much inflammation or how our systems are involved in general. So there's both kind of short-term immediate connection and then bigger picture long-term pieces there. My next guest this morning is Yasidra Tejas, Executive Director of Breaking the Silence New Mexico, who joined us on the show a couple months ago concerning youth mental health and the crisis that we're seeing there. Welcome back to the show, Yasidra. Good morning, Taylor. Thank you for having me back. And I know we listened to Clara Washerman's tape earlier in her interview, but she talks about the struggles when it comes to comparison, body image issues, depression, anxiety, all of those things that go along with social media use. And you're working with young people in schools. Are you seeing similar struggles? Yes. So we we talk to students about um, what keeps people from reaching out when it comes to their mental health. And a lot of the times they are saying, you know, stigma and, and where do we learn stigma from? And, and their first reaction is social media. Um, that, you know, we've touched base a lot already on a lot of this falsified, um, you know, this false reality that is on social media and in the news, but um, it kind of puts a, a separation between what's going on in the real world. And can you share how you've seen social media firsthand affect young people? Yeah, so a lot of a lot of people think that COVID has had more of an impact when it comes to teens' mental health, depression, um, suicide rates, anxiety, body dysmorphia. Um, but the reality is, is research is showing that that has been an increasing trend since um, about 2009 and 2011 when um, youth was actually getting social media and getting on social media and having smartphones in their hands. Um, COVID did have an impact. Um, It just made it more worse. And we spoke earlier about the effects on girls versus boys. How does breaking the silence educate young people about the unrealistic expectations there is when it comes to gender on social media and how those platforms really do treat people differently? So we do help students understand that there is really no discrimination um, when it comes to that preteen stage you know developmentally they have they develop a sense of awareness and and what other people think of them and girls are a little bit more vulnerable and susceptible to that and developing um, eating disorders and body dysmorphia and um, boys are spending more time on gaming where they have a little bit more of connection and interaction versus females who are um, spending more time on Instagram and and Facebook or social media or Instagram and and TikTok and where they can kind of more alter a lot of the effects that are on some of those images. And we're going to get into more about social media, the harms, the benefits, and a little bit of gaming and how to keep your kids safe on those consoles. But we're going to take a quick break. We're talking about social social media's impact on youth and their mental health and safety. Let's Talk New Mexico. This is Let's Talk New Mexico on 89.9 KUNM. I'm Taylor Velasquez, and we'll be back in a minute. I'm Maria Hinojosa. Next time on Latino USA the growing call to abolish student debt. We listen to the stories of Black and Latino students organizing at the forefront of the movement. We're doing things that has actually never been done before, guys. We're changing the way that people think about student debt. That's next time on Latino USA. That's Latino USA, Monday mornings at 8 a.m. on KUNM. Donations come in many forms, a sustaining membership, a one-time gift, even that extra vehicle you no longer need. Donating a vehicle is a great way to support KUNM. It's easy, pickup is free, you get a tax deduction, a KUNM membership, and your vehicle could be worth hundreds of dollars in support. Give us a call today to learn more about donating your vehicle. Call 888-KUNM-CAR. That's 888-586-6227. 
Welcome back to Let's Talk New Mexico on KUNM. We're looking at what safety issues are coming from social media and how to best protect your family. There's still time to call in this morning, so give us a ring at 505-277-5866. And I want to go back to our guest, Yusidra Tejas, from Breaking the Silence New Mexico. We were talking about the differences of how social media impacts girls versus boys, but there's also that aspect that all kids experience, which is the cyberbullying. And for so many kids, they experience bullying in school, but nowadays it doesn't end when the bell ends or rings. They experience cyberbullying and hearing from kids, how is cyberbullying impacting them? Is it a big issue? What's going on there? Well, when we have a younger generation that only knows a world with high technology and social media, there's this sense of normalcy that can be developed. And so it's teaching um, youth about the social and emotional intelligence um, and its impact, the tools that they have in their hands and how powerful they can they can be. Um, you know, teaching them the difference about cyberbullying, um, well, the different types of, of bullying in general, but um, the, the suicide rate, the increase of suicide rates in students that are being cyberbullying, um, it's, it's more likely to there, that to happen when there's a screen in between you versus in person. Um, so there is a high rate of cyberbullying and just being really mindful and cognizant about um, what you're putting out there. And Dr. So- Sauer, I want to go back to you. What coping strategies do you recommend for young people who are dealing with the negative aspects of social media? And when is the point where they should seek professional help? Dr. Sauer, are you still with us? Well, we're going to pivot back to you, Sidra. And, you know, you just talked about all the challenges that are going on. There's something new every day, like I said earlier, but how do you teach teachers, students, parents about the looking for the warning signs that someone may be experiencing cyberbullying? Um, it could be a lot of um, just typical mental health challenges, um, isolation, um, changes in mood and behaviors, um, spending a lot of time on, on social media. Um, but with parents, it's it's just being aware and having the conversation with your children about the importance of social media and um, how it works, how technology works, how social media works, how a lot of those engineers behind those social media platforms are essentially hijacking and manipulating the brain and um, attracting their high, uh, their attention um, and setting a lot of those boundaries and teaching students to have boundaries around the, the time that they're spending on social media and being mindful about how it's impacting their mental health. And social media has become such a big part of our days. We wake up with it, we go to bed with it, even though that might not be what people are recommending. But do you worry that social media companies are exploiting young people's attention while aggravating the youth mental health crisis we spoke about a couple of months ago? Most definitely. Um, a lot of those engineers that are behind those social media platforms, they are they are competing for you know people's attention. And so essentially they're hijacking our psychology. Um, and when we have a youth who has like um, Dr. Soward stated um, that has an underdeveloped brain, they um, are more vulnerable to that. And so as adults, we have to essentially be that prefrontal cortex for them and that reasoning and helping our youth um, be a little bit more disciplined around social media and, and be aware of the level of manipulation that social media has on our attention. And so many young kids are on social media. It's a huge part of their lives. And you just talked about that manipulation. But do you think the normalization of the unreal, unrealistic expectations and stereotypes we spoke of earlier will prevent kids from seeking professional help because they think this is attainable? This is something I need to do. Most definitely, especially if, if it's um, a teen who is on and you know on an AI track that it's not really reinforcing them to be able to reach out for help or it's um, manipulating their you know and their opinion and, and creating a bias against reaching out for mental health um, and reinforcing that it can definitely impact it's a double side coin um, if you're one that's looking for positivity on on social media and that's being reinforced you're you're more likely to reach out but on the other end. Um, if you're a little bit more hesitant and it's being reinforced um, through algorithms, then you're less likely to reach out for help. 
And what advice do you have for young people who are still using social media, they still want to engage in it, but maybe are looking to do it in a healthier way? Yeah, so I think um, a lot of it is just educating themselves about the reality of social media and technology and how it impacts our mental health, um, how it impacts our reality in the real world, how it impacts our brains, and starting to learn and develop a healthy relationship with technology and social media. And Dr. Sauer, it looks like you're back with us. And Eusidra was just speaking about the importance of setting boundaries, knowing what's too much, when it's too much, but what are coping strategies that you recommend for young people who are dealing with those negative aspects of social media? And in your opinion, what's that point where they should be seeking professional help? Yeah, thank you. So um, I think in terms of coping strategies, you know, it can be really helpful for kids and families also to develop some kind of grounding capacity, right? Like what are some activities that really bring them a strong sense of meaning? Um, what are things that do help them feel better about themselves? You know, for so for some kids, it's like having time where they're out in nature, it's spending time with their pets, with friends in person, with other family, with sports, kind of whatever it might be. Um, you know, I think it's good just to have some counter experiences that are, again are sort of here in the present and also can um, be connected with what they feel better about. Um, I think that, you know, when people might think about reaching out for professional help could include if they're finding that their degree of um, kind of negative sense of self, like if they're feeling really low on themselves, a lot of anxiety, those can be situations that talking with a professional could be helpful. Um, you know, some people may notice also that their general mood is shifting um, if they're feeling more depressed or if they're just kind of like, I don't want to do the things that I used to do or I'm struggling to keep up with things that matter to me like school or work. Those can all be really good um, indications that a professional might be in a good next step. And we're closing in on the hour, but there's still time to give us a call. Are you a parent who's listening, who's worried about your child's safety online? You can give us a call at 505-277-5866 or shoot us an email at letstalk at KUNM.org and tell us about it. And I want to introduce my last guest this hour, Gabrielle Rael with the Internet Crimes Against Children Department and the New Mexico Office of the Attorney General. Welcome to the show, Gabrielle. Thank you for having us. Your office has put out both middle, middle school and high school level resources that discuss cyber safety, bully, bullying prevention, sexting, online grooming, and online gaming precautions. What are the biggest threats that you're seeing right now? Some of the biggest threats that we are seeing is online. There's a lot of people that are pretending to be who they're not. Um, right now, specifically, I work for, like you said, the Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force, and we get a lot of cyber tips from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. One of the main things that we are seeing is sextortion tips. Those are coming a lot from Instagram, Snapchat, and just other social media platforms where someone is pretending to get into a relationship with you, pretending to be someone they're not. And then you kind of build that trust with that person and you send images that you might have not meant to. And then they are using those images to extort you sometimes for money or other favors. And oftentimes that's leading for kids to commit suicide. And that's why we're taking the prevention so seriously. That's a very scary reality that young people are dealing with right now. But when it comes to internet safety, where does one even start? I would definitely start at the most obvious is just privacy settings. Definitely keep an eye on those, turn off your location, make your account private. That way people that aren't in your friends list can't see your day-to-day -day activities. And then I would also be sure to just go through and update your friend list and really make sure that you do know who you are adding on social media. Again, like I said, a lot of people pretend to be who they're not. And a lot of times they're not there to actually be your friend. And can you talk a little bit more about threats of sextortion and how you all are working with the Take It Down campaign to get those internet or images off the internet? Yeah, so when you do share an image online and you notice that it is on like a social media platform, we do work with the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. They do offer a service called Take It Down and you can send your images and work with NICMIC, which is the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Um, to take those images down, they will send those codes, they're called hash values, 
they will send those hash values to the social media platforms and they will work to pull those images down from Facebook or Instagram and stuff like that. We've talked so far about cyberbullying this hour. What are your suggestions to parents and kids who are facing this type of bullying? I would definitely start out with uh, telling a trusted adult and even working with your local law enforcement to deal with that. We have a lot of great resources, getting educated. Um, we offer a lot of presentations to middle school, but even younger high school. And then we also like to talk to teachers on how to really look at those signs and how to prevent it. And there's another tactic going around that child predators are using video games to make contact with young people and build those relationships like you were talking about earlier, but how big is this problem and what safety tips do you have? Um, I've seen a lot of social media, I mean, um, gaming such as Roblox, we get a lot of uh, cyber tips from Roblox, but that's a lot of what I've seen. I haven't personally seen a lot of tips coming from like Xbox, PS4, stuff like that. It's mostly um, on Roblox where they are able to chat with the younger kids because those sites aren't monitored. I do know that there are certain gaming platforms that are starting to put out a warning sign that they are monitoring chats and conversation to ensure that there is a safe environment in their platform. And since we've mentioned mental health challenges like depression and suicide this hour, I'd like to remind listeners of the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. If you're having trouble, you can call 988 for help. And I want to introduce or reintroduce our next guest, Jessica Fish, who we've heard throughout the hour talk about social media, how it helps LGBTQ youth. But she has this to say about looking forward. Not everything is all bad or all good. And I think we need to really consider the shades of gray in which social media and the internet and the benefits that affords LGBTQ young people and young people broadly are good. And at the same time that there are things that need to be done to mitigate the harmful aspects of social media and the internet. And so finding that balance, um, maybe that is, you know, thrust upon the tech companies to understand how to create better algorithms so that hateful and polarizing content don't rise uh, to the top for viewing, uh, whether that's around um, being able to moderate content in a way that doesn't elevate or uh, promulgate hate speech um, as it relates to LGBTQ identity or other groups. I don't know exactly what that is, but I think generally we just can't assume that social media is bad and or that it's good. It's it's both. And I think we need to think strategically as as researchers, as as folks in the technology industry and just broader society. How do we support youth in navigating social media and online spaces? Because it's not going away. And Gabrielle, I want to get your reaction. You're working on both prevention efforts, but also helping after some of the harm has already occurred. What is missing right now when it comes to either stricter laws or regulations that would make youth safer? I think we definitely need to put a age restriction on social media apps. Um, And I know that we don't have those right now, so I think that's why it's very important for parents to really talk to their kids and know what they're doing, know who they're playing with on these gaming platforms, know who they're chatting with on social media. Your kids might get annoyed that you're so involved in their life, but I, they will definitely thank you later. And you see, I also want to get your reaction to what we just heard from Jessica. You're in schools every day. How important is it that we think strategically as we're moving forward? Yeah, it's really important um, that we are teaching students to utilize technology you know, in school when it comes to their education. Um, that's the benefit side of technology. It helps with education and research, um, but also the limits of social media and how it has a negative impact on their education. Um, you know, the proper amount of sleep with teacher with students being on social media platform, how that's impacting um, their ability to keep attention in school and how it impacts their mental health. Um, and just continuing to educate I mean, the conversation just has to be continuous about the reality around social media and technology. And I think Jessica's point that social media is not going away anytime soon or if ever. So what tips or tricks do you have to decrease the amount of time spent on social media? Um, I mean, well, for parents, it's it's definitely setting that time limit and setting that boundary for your child. Um, it can be hard. I, I know I was one of those that my parents would take the phone away from me at a certain period of time and I'd get mad, but 
But now as an adult, and like that makes sense and it's important because again, making sure your child has a healthy amount of sleep, especially when they're in a state of growth and development. So they're able to focus more at school. Um, And then just teaching youth about the impacts of being on social media for long periods of time and and the negative impacts that it has and teaching them to gain control of their attention and their their mindset and um, set those those healthy boundaries. And I'm sure a lot of us who are in and listening to this conversation are thinking maybe about the TikTok challenges that we're seeing going on and they can lead to death or just be very harmful in general. But what conversation should we be having surrounding peer pressure and social media? Definitely the, the, again, going back to how much that reinforces our opinions, that reinforces our behavior um, and our emotions. And so teaching our, our youth to be able to dissociate between the two and when it's time to um, log off and, and get off of those and be aware of when it's having an, an, a negative impact on us. And like I said, you see it firsthand. You're in schools, you're seeing all different kids, how they interact, how they're affected by it. But what suggestions do you have for lawmakers after seeing social media grow and kids mature? I mean, it comes down to policies. Um, it continue. It comes down. Unfortunately, we don't. You know, it's it's a working progress when it comes to laws and policies and holding a lot of these social media platforms in progress. Um, but continuing to bring awareness to the topic. I mean, there there's a good and bad, like we've said. Um, and you know where social media has its positivity around, you know, doing good things and connecting people and and um, fundraising and bringing awareness to um, to good things that are happening in the world, but also putting things in structure and laws in place that protect our children from things like cyberbullying and um, a lot of the predation that is going on on social media as well. And Gabrielle, I'll give you the last few minutes here. What, ending this hour, what should people be taking away from this conversation? Um, to really see the benefits that, to social media, but also to be aware of the cons of social media. There's good and bad with everything. Um, I really liked how they mentioned earlier about logging off and being really present in what you're doing. Um, I think, and then just really making sure that your privacy settings are being aware of what you're putting putting out there and who's watching. I think that is one of the most important. And to seek help. Don't be afraid to seek help, especially um, our office. We are always here to help. There's a lot of tips and tricks that we learned this hour. And of course, it's always crucial to keep our families safe so that's all the time we have for today thanks to everyone who emailed to share your thoughts and thank you so much to our guests you see Dertez, Clara Wasserman, Amanda Blair and Gabrielle Riel and Dr. Sauer. The show was made possible by the WK Kellogg Foundation and KUNM listeners like you. Let's keep the conversation going you can search for KUNM radio on Facebook or email us at letstalk at KUNM.org And if you miss part of the show, stream it online or subscribe to our podcast on either Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Our engineer this morning was Marino Spencer. Mia Casa screened your calls. Kaveh Movahead was our executive producer. On next week's show, we'll discuss the growth and development of our cities. I'm Taylor Velasquez. This is Let's Talk New Mexico on 89.9 KUNM.